Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number eight of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Jonathan Little. Jonathan is a two-time World Poker Tour title winner, has over $7 million in live poker tournament earnings. He's an incredibly prolific author of poker strategy books, his latest one being the just-released Excelling at Tough No Limit Hold'em Games. Jonathan is also the founder of PokerCoaching.com, a training site, and he won the People's Choice Award for Poker Personality of the Year at the 2019 Global Poker Awards Ceremony. He's our choice for a guest today, and we are delighted that he's joined us. Jonathan, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. This is such a friendly podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the introduction. I'm ready to go. All right. Wonderful. I'm glad we didn't get any of those uh, details wrong, but you know that's, that's a pretty awesome uh, resume to have. So good on you. And we're really happy to have you. So thanks for joining us. Thank um, you. I've been, been in poker a long time. So if you work hard for a very long time, inevitably some things come your way. That's already our first nugget of truth. Absolutely. Um, also, they just started hammering above my head. I hope you can't hear that. Go figure. Uh, That's how it works whenever we have to do a live interview, whenever we're stuck at home. It's more authentic that way, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it's very authentic. Exactly. So um, if it's let, bad, we can pause. So you just let me know. Okay. No worries. So let's begin with your poker origin story and what could have perhaps been an alternative timeline. If I recall correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you began playing around age 18 when your friends started getting into it. You had a good amount of free time on your hands, so you devoted yourself to studying, improving, and playing, right, so far? So far, so good. That's how most people in my, uh, you know, region of starting at poker back when we were young got into it. So yeah, right. that, that is the start of all of our origin stories. Okay. Pretty much. Right. But... I also know that you, at the time, had a job working at an airport fueling mm -hmm. planes. So, so my first question is, that sounds like a pretty cool job. I love aviation. I'm wondering if perhaps you've always been into aviation and maybe you saw yourself going into that career before poker swept you away? So the job of fueling airplanes does not play, pay especially well. It's a fine job, it pays you know, 10, 15 bucks an hour, but it's not really a, I mean, you can't make a career out of it, but I was not going to make a career out of it. My mom actually had the same job whenever she was in high school slash college, and she got the person who was my boss, his job 20 or 30 years prior. So I had a connection there. My mom worked there. Everybody liked her there. And um, so I got a job there pretty easily and I worked there until I was about 19 years old, 18 to 19 years old. And it was a good job. It was a um, relatively stress-free job to some extent. I know driving around in a truck full of gasoline may not sound so stress-free, <laughs> but it was like, it was a good job. And I purposefully made a point after I got experience at the job to work the graveyard shift mm -hmm. because on the graveyard shift, not a whole lot of planes would come in in the middle of the night. Right. Uh, mostly they go out when people are leaving, you know, normal, normal times. So for the most part, you show up at something like 10 p.m. and then you do some odds and ends, like you have to make sure the fuel's good in the trucks and make sure there's no mess. I mean, I don't know, you have, you have to clean up stuff, right? Do some testing, clean up stuff, make sure everything's good. And that usually takes about two hours. So you have an eight hour shift, the two hours are taken at the beginning. You have to fuel up an airplane or two at like 5.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of the day is generally free unless something happens. So during that time period, I uh, study poker a lot. And 
once I got pretty good at poker, I, I started downloading Party Poker every night on the company computer and I played Sit and Goes all night. And uh, that, uh, that allowed me to grow a bankroll while I was working at the airport, which probably is not optimal, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> Interesting. Well, did you ever have any aspirations of becoming a pilot or, you know, continuing on in that way? Just, you know, because it's a pretty interesting, unique, and again, like maybe not necessarily glamorous, but it is a pretty cool job, you know, especially that age. I mean, airplanes and airlines and all that are very, very cool. I would have looked into becoming a pilot, but it was expensive. And I didn't have a whole lot of money as a kid. And like, even, I think they gave us some sort of discount, like whatever the the rate was, but it was still like, I don't know, a hundred bucks an hour to fly around an airplane. Mm. And when you're making $10 an hour, it takes a lot of hours of work to fly around in the airplane. So sure. I was not in a good financial spot to attempt to become a pilot. Gotcha. But I mean, if I had more money, I certainly would. There were a few people who worked at the airport who also like they'd go on to get their pilot's license. And I don't know if they're utilizing it today or not, but that'd certainly be something neat to have, but I do not have any of that. Okay. There are a few poker players out there who actually fly small planes or jets around at poker tournaments back pre-COVID, they would just hop in their jet, fly a poker tournament. And that was like their, their fun. That's pretty cool. Like, like, like who, can you name like one person besides Phil Hellmuth who just goes on other people's private jets? Or? Oh man, I, I don't want to get any names wrong. Okay. Um, I think Steve Brecker did for a while. Is that his oh, name? Really? Steve Brecker, I believe wow. he did. Wow. If not That's him, cool. someone who looks just like him. <laughs> I haven't played live poker in quite a while, so. It's not, everybody gets muddled in my head after if you don't see him for a year. Sure. Yeah, definitely a, a boat that a lot of us are in. Um, yeah. So poker wise, then let's turn away from the airfields. What would you say um, in your poker career have been the high points? But at least to me, a little bit more interesting. Well, how about the low points uh, during your, your playing career? And, and why would you say that those are the, uh, you know, the top and the bottom of, uh, of uh, your playing career? I mean, in terms of my poker playing career, I've had two pretty low points. I've had two World Series of Pokers where I've had no caches. And this was with me playing like every day. So I would show up to the Rio. I would buy into a tournament. I'd play for like six or eight hours, make it kind of near the end of the day. I'd get it all in somehow. And I would just lose every single time. Right. <laughs> and this happened about 30 or 40 times in a row. And I recognized at that point that was normal because I already had a pretty bad downswing when I first started playing live tournaments when I turned 21. So I knew you're going to run bad sometimes. And I've mm -hmm. studied variance. I understand that there's a lot of variance in thousand person tournaments. So that kind of thing is very frustrating and demoralizing. But at the same time, if you look at your play and realize, all right, I'm getting four starting sacks at the end of every day one, and I get it all in with Queens against Ace King and I lose, and that's just happening over and over. It's okay. So I was fortunate on the end of one of those to win a million dollars right after that. I won a world poker tour tournament at the Mirage right. right after one of those very, very long downswings. And um, I, I know the uh, the Foxwoods win was somewhat somewhat soon after one of the other bad downswings. And you just have to show up and implement your strategy. I mean, whenever you go to play poker, to some extent, you're just implementing the strategy that you learned before you sat down to play. And as long as you're working hard and making sure you're playing in games where you have an edge and you play a lot of those games, you'll win in the long run. But most people don't want to put in the volume. Like imagine a recreational player who plays one tournament a week. If they play, let's say 40 or 50 tournaments a year, I would have had a downswing for their whole year. Right. And most recreational players will quit if they play every week and lose every single week for a year. For sure. Most professionals will quit if they, if they do that, unless they know that that is a possible outcome. It's not likely. It may happen, I don't know, two or 3% of the time. Mm -hmm. But if you play, you know, a thousand tournaments, you're bound to have 
40 or 50 where you do quite poorly. Mm -hmm. And also what happens to a lot of people is they may have like a 200 tournament stretch where they have, you know, let's, let's just say 20 caches, right? So they cash 10% of the time, but no wins whatsoever. And that's also going to be a horrible downswing. It may not feel quite so bad because you get some caches in the middle, but caches don't really matter. What really matters in tournaments is winning or taking the top few places. So right. you have to just understand the game you're signing up for and make sure you do the process that will result in you winning in the long run, which is play a lot in games you can beat. Interesting. You ever had to uh, go down in stakes or you know eat humble pie, so to speak, in that way? Was that uh, ever a thing for you? So when I was playing sit and goes, when I was 19 years old, I was playing a $200 sit and goes at this point. I already had like $80,000 to my name. I turned $50 when I started playing when I was 18 to about 80,000 when I was 19. Nice. I spent or bought a condominium. I put down like 20 or 30,000, something like that. So now I'm down to 50K, let's say. And then I went on a downswing for like 30K. So I'm left with 20K cash. And that's still an okay bankroll to play the $200 sit and goes, but I thought there was a reasonable chance that I'm actually not a winning player in these games. Maybe I just was lucky to turn you know, 50 into 80K playing only sit and goes. But what I did then is instead of just continuing to play the $200 games, I went down to the $10 games way at the bottom. Well, it wasn't the bottom, but it was close to the bottom. And I made a point to win 100 buy-ins at every level, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, back to 200. And that took three or four months. But I, I basically definitively proved that if I must move back down again, I know there's some level lower where I can move down and grind up a bankroll, no problem, right. and not be playing against the best signal players in the world back then, because those were the highest stakes that existed. Sure. So that was a time where you know I, I basically went from having 80K in cash to 20K in cash. And... Instead of just gambling higher or gambling harder, I moved down. Because at that point, I still could have just quit poker, had a condominium with you know 20K in it, had 20K cash, or you know, let's say I lose another 10K, but have 10K in cash. And right. It would have been okay as a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, it's still better so than that. That was the course, fail case, right? right? Yeah. And that's not so bad. So you want to ideally want to set yourself up to where if you fail, it's not the end of the world. Right. Right. Um, well, as far as you know, the the high points, the the highlights. Do you have a particular favorite place to play that sort of resonates? It's like, oh, this is a happy place. I I run well here. If you believe in that sort of thing, or maybe a a favorite tournament series. Unfortunately, every time I've won a big tournament, they've made it substantially smaller or removed it the next time. So, uh, <laughs> and Mirage is a good example. The last WPT they had at Mirage, I won. At Boxwoods, they had the tournament there. I won. Next year, it was substantially smaller. It had like seventy people. And then the next year they moved it down to like a $1,500 buy-in tournament down from 10,000. Right. So that was basically killed. Um, unfortunately, no, I, I don't really have any place where I particularly love to go. I mean, I love going to the Bahamas party poker just announced that they are postponing their Caribbean poker party because of COVID as you know, they should. And that's a place I really like going, even though I haven't had like amazing success in the Bahamas, that's just a good fun place to go play poker. So I don't really attach happiness to places where I have won. Because imagine I won somewhere that was not particularly nice. Do I really want to say that's my favorite place? I mean, probably right. not. But I mean, to be fair, I'm, I'm pretty happy going to play in most places. Most places that have medium and high stakes tournaments are pretty nice. And I'm not so picky about where I go to play. Okay, cool. That fair. said, if you're in the Bahamas, you can go out and go swimming in the morning. You can have nice food. You can hang out and have a great time with a bunch of friends. It's that's a pretty good experience. Right, right. Well, as, as successful as you've been at the felt, as many memories as you made, as much as you've earned, uh, you know, all of that uh, good stuff in your career, perhaps at this point, you're, you're, 
even better known for being one of the premier instructors in the game and all of the training content that you've produced. So generally speaking, I'm wondering as far as your overall priorities, what's more important to you? Is it your on play on the felt player goals or your sort of like off the felt teaching goals? So I knew about five years ago that I wanted to settle down and have a family because I was, you know, we're getting middle-aged Am my middle-aged, I'm not sure, getting middle-aged and it's time to have kids. You want to have kids? I mean, this is the ideal time, right? And so that would require me to stay home more than I was because I used to travel and play poker three months or three weeks per month, roughly. Wow. So I was gone on the road a lot of the time and that's not ideal if you want to have a family so i need to figure out a way to be able to stay home more often and that either means playing a lot of local cash games or that means um making a business of some sort and i always had a poker training business since i was i don't know like 21 or something like that because i, I recognize that i learned a lot from people who came before me and they were happy to help me and I, I would certainly not be where i am today if they did not help me and so whenever people asked me for help i was always happy to help them out in whatever way i could and that resulted in me having a training site that was losing a little bit of money on a regular basis. Like because we were paying coaches to make content, we didn't have a ton of subscribers. I wasn't really like putting any full effort in it, right? Turns out if you don't really devote yourself to something, it's probably gonna be bad. So I had a marginal training site and I decided to try to ramp it up a bit, try to spend a little bit more time on it, try to bring on very high level coaches and make courses and um, that, went pretty well. So I decided to, I mean, really just devote more and more time to it. So the point now where if there was not COVID, I would be home for about three weeks per month and traveling to play poker about one week per month. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just in terms of time spent, definitely more time is spent on the, the business pokercoaching.com is my training site. Right. And that said, a lot of the time I spend, call it on the business is me actually studying poker though. And I mean, a good example, the new book, Excelling at Tough No Limit Hold'em Games, as you see here. Yep. It's not just me on the book. It's me with 10 other world-class players. I mean, we have John Van Fleet, one of the biggest winners in online tournaments. We have uh, Draft Ganger. He's one of my poker coaching coaches. He was number one player in the world online a year or two ago and uh, many others. And this was me collaborating with them and learning from them because I realized these are like the best poker players in the world and I want to make sure I'm actively learning from them because you know, in order to become the best, you must study with the best to some extent, especially if they are decently ahead of you. And I mean, to be fair, they are decently ahead of me and everybody else because they are the absolute best players in the world. So I spend a lot of time working with other very good poker players, collaborating with them and, and learning from them to some extent. And a lot of the projects I am making today are projects either I wish I had when I was starting to get into poker or projects that I want today to, to learn from. Right. So um, when I'm working on the you know poker coaching business, a lot of that is actually just studying that I would be doing anyway to some extent, but I'm just finding a way to share it with everybody else. Interesting. Huh. But Interesting. in terms of poker goals, I don't really have any at this point, which may not sound great to the listeners, but I realized that you can't really control a whole lot about poker beyond the amount of time you spend playing, right? Because you can't control if you win your hands and lose your hands. All you can do is show up and play your absolute best, which I know I'm going to do. I'm not going to be like partying the day before tournaments or, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be like butchering myself like some people have a problem doing. And I know that when I go play, if I go play live, I'm going to play, I don't know, six or eight tournaments. And over the course of six or eight tournaments, it's just infinite variance. Sure. And that's okay. I understand that. So whenever I do travel, I try to make the most of my time there. 
like I was recently, uh, before COVID, I was in Nottingham for a party poker series there. And every day I'd go home and I'd play online afterwards. And that would result in me playing poker like 16 hours a day every day for the week. And that's fine. I have no problem with that because I know that is my time to play poker. And I want to make the most of it. But that said, it's only one week per month. And you can't say I'm going to be the best player in the world or anything like that if you're playing one week per month. And um, also, you can't say things like, I want to win a major tournament if you only play 10 of them per year, right? Mm. So it's just it's a volume game at the end of the day. And if you don't put in substantial volume, you should certainly not expect consistent results in tournaments, at least. Interesting. And that's where I'm focusing most of my time. I used to play a lot of cash games, but now you can re-enter a lot of tournaments to some extent to the point that you're never really... You don't have a whole lot of downtime. Whereas in the past, if you busted a tournament at 2 p.m., you had nothing to do for the rest of the day, you might as well go play cash games. But right. that's not um, the way the way the poker tournament scene is structured anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, you're impossibly prolific. And I do <laughs> I do say that with a tremendous admiration, truly. Um, you're consistently writing articles for multiple poker media sites. Uh, you've written over a dozen poker books, you have 15 poker books. You deliver countless webinars. You've produced hundreds of hours of poker training videos, and you run everything on the business side of all of that content production. Plus, of course, you mentioned you play and you're an active and involved parent of two beautiful boys. So I'm not going to ask the the cliche question, how do you find the time? But what I am going to try and ask, I want to be a little bit more specific. How are you able to manage your time so well and so consistently that you're able to devote such qualitative attention to all of those endeavors and, and parts of your life? Uh, I'm probably not as good at it as you think I am, but (laughs) I try to compartmentalize life to some extent. Like I said, when I go to play poker, I'm not doing anything else, right? Like I'm not really working on the business. I'm not really doing any other routine stuff that I have to do. I am playing poker 16 hours a day. And when I'm at home, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. till 6 p.m., I am in my office working and I'll pretty much grind out that whole time block. And it turns out if you sit down for, what is that, 45 hours a week and grind it out, you'll probably get a lot done. And also I have a team of people who help me with things, Mm -hmm. right? Like I have multiple employees and I have a lot of coaches and it's not just me, it's a team effort. So uh, you need to surround yourself with very, very good people who can help you out with things and you'll be able to be substantially more productive. Like I have a few people on my team who are great at poker and they help me get together content. And like if I'm presenting a webinar, sometimes they'll just send me the PowerPoint. I'll look it over, be like, yeah, that's good, let's go. And we'll fire it off, right? And it's good to have a team who knows what they are doing. And to be fair, a lot of them were poker coaching members. They were my students and they mm-hmm. say, Hey, I can, I think I can help you with um, you know, social media or marketing or web design or engineering or whatever. Mm-hmm. They help me out a little bit. And if it's good, maybe, maybe they become employees. And it, it, it turns out whenever people want to work with you because they like you and they like your work, you're in, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good, a good example is like for my business, I don't think I've ever actually had to search out someone to hire which I think is abnormal for most business because most people, most businesses are looking for people to fix their problem. But anytime I have a problem, I'll just like post it on social media and I'll get seven people send me an email and one or two of them will be really serious about it. And next thing you know, they're working with me and we'll give them a shot. Amazing. And so it's, it's good to have a lot of people who are in your corner who are happy to help. Sure. Well, and of course, that said, compartmentalizing is very, a very, very key skill. Also a lot of the stuff I do for the business I can do ahead of time like I have a weekly poker hand podcast where every week I post, I go through a poker hand, takes 10 minutes or whatever. So total to make that, it may take 15 or 20 minutes to find mm-hmm. the content, which doesn't sound like much, 
But if you're playing a poker tournament series, you don't really want to wake up and have to turn on your computer and carry a microphone <laughs> and get presentable and record yourself. I mean, it takes like an hour and it's a hassle. Right. So I always make those well ahead of time. And I mean, like for the World Series of Poker, I know I'm going to be busy for six weeks. So I get six weeks ahead on all that stuff. Actually, sure. really, I get more like 10 weeks ahead on all that stuff because I, I do not like time pressure. I don't like deadlines. I try to do everything as far in advance as I can. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff I do is like that. Like I write articles for, for magazines, like um, Card Player Magazine and Poker News. And I make those way ahead of time because mm-hmm. I can. There's like no real time pressure on it. Sure. So I try to basically do a lot of stuff I can in advance while I'm staying at home in my office. And um, just try to make the most of my time is what it amounts to. Nice. I try to nice. not squander too much of it. Sometimes right. I find myself playing a game like Hearthstone all day. It's not all day. It's usually <laughs> like an hour. And I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. And then I get, then I get back to work. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, sort of like peeking behind the curtain, there, you're, you're, we, I guess it is you know, that we see 10% of the iceberg that's above the water. But what you just described is that other 90%. It's interesting to sort of know the machinations that make all of this uh, content that we're familiar with. Um, There's a lot to it. Yeah. <laughs> more, than, more than you would think. <laughs> sure. um, well, I, I got to ask a follow-up then. You're talking about you know, 45 hours a week of focused work. Just as an example, I mean, more than ever before, um, people are bombarded nowadays with stimuli like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, podcasts, Netflix, news. I mean, the list just really goes on and on. So, I mean, everything is competing for our attention and people perhaps are a little bit more distracted or distraction prone uh, than ever before. So how do you stay so laser focused on always producing or, or maybe you can give uh, our listeners some tips. So I have a calendar, just a simple Google calendar and I do whatever it says to do each day. So I'll plan that out <laughs> well ahead of time. Like um, today, for example, it says make videos for poker news. Okay. So I know today we're going to make some videos for poker news. That is the number one thing we're going to do. We're going to knock it out and we're going to make it happen. And so 10 a.m. rolls around, I sit down and make my poker news videos because I know I have to do that. And it takes two hours and you're done. Mm-hmm. And now you can focus on all the other stuff. I mean, we have you know, like various emails that come in that you have to deal with or, uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff you can do. I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of writing the next book. I've finished up a little bit of that. And it's like, you just try to make use of the time that you have. But if you find that you're really not productive and you're daydreaming or goofing off or getting distracted by a game or a TV show or sports or whatever, schedule out your life is to the best of your ability. Um, one of my students, a guy named Blas Zerzhow, he just uh, took fourth place in the WPT online for 550K. Wow. And a year and a half ago, he turned 20 bucks into 1.3 million on party poker. So he's, he's been running hot. But after he won that 1.3 million, he's like out of the blue, just kind of sent me, he's like, okay, this is my schedule. And it was like every month was perfectly planned out. Wow. And he was going to finish college. He was going to still travel to play poker some. He was going to play a lot online. He was going to get in good shape, all this. And he just like did it over the last year. And that's now incredible. he's the perfect human specimen. And, um, <laughs> and that's great. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if he had any problems scheduling in the past or anything, but I mean, that's what you should be doing is sitting down and being somewhat regimented. And I think a lot of people see things like a schedule and think, oh, I don't want to have a schedule. I'm a poker player. Mm-hmm. I want to do whatever I want. And I mean, if you're a poker player, you are your own boss to some extent, but if you're a bad boss, you're going to get a bad results, right? right? So you have to ask if you're actually serious about improving your poker skills, your life skills, your business, et cetera. And if you are, do it. If it's your priority, do it. If it's not your priority, go do something else. 
Good tips. I mean, it's important to know like what you actually care about, right? Like for the long time, I kept telling myself, I want to sit down and learn other languages. I thought that'd be cool and neat to do. Okay. But do I really want to sit down and work for 200 hours to get anywhere near confident at it? Hmm. And the answer is just like, no. So instead of feeling bad about the fact that I am not doing it, I'm just like, okay with it. I muck it, right? You, you muck it. You move on with your right. life. Right. And you also have to try to get rid of the stuff that's very low value. Like I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering on the internet. Mm-hmm. And you can play as much of it as you like. So, you know, you can yeah. spend eight hours a day playing it if you want. And I mean, I was probably spending, I don't know, let's say four hours a week playing Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. which it doesn't even sound like a lot. It sounds like a reasonable hobby. Yeah. But it's 16 hours a week during my work time. And I mean, that's two full days of work that I could spend doing something else. Mm. So I'd rather have two extra days of work or goof off a little bit. And I'd rather have two extra days of work. Yeah, totally fair. Makes makes a lot of sense. Um, also, I like yeah. the work. I like oh, the work. Right. If you don't like your work, you're going to find you don't want to do it. But I think if you look at a lot of people who are prolific to some extent, they actually just love what they're doing. It doesn't feel like work. Right. Like this right here, talking to you. I mean, some people may think, oh, I have to do a podcast interview. I got to go do this. It's like, this is easy for me, right? It's like show up and talk to my friend Robbie and have fun for an hour. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? I kind of feel the same way. I got to be honest with you. So thank you very much. Appreciate that. Good. I'm glad we're crushing it. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, um, I want to move on and discuss um, one of my favorite things, um, a little cup of coffee. A little coffee, yeah. Yep. Um, a couple times a week, uh, I believe it's a couple times a week, you do a live stream uh, across your platforms directly to your audience. And sometimes you discuss your own chosen topics. Sometimes you discuss topics that your fans or your students bring up. And sometimes you do the, the AMAs, you know, they ask me anything. Um, what gave you the idea to start doing uh, those sessions in the first place? And what do you enjoy most about them? I think I... I, I took the idea from somebody else. I forget who it was, but someone who I followed, they they like read the newspaper and talked about the topics every morning for like an hour while they're drinking their coffee. I'm like, okay, that, that seems nice and easy. Um, but so I decided to just start doing like an hour long show every day. I was doing it five days a week initially, Monday to Friday. Right. But then I cut it down to three days a week because five days a week was a lot. And it's good to stick to a schedule, I think to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to stick to a well easier schedule. So, what what made me do it? I thought it'd be a nice, easy way to connect with my fans. I mean, I realized that I may come off as somewhat, somewhat robotic to people if they don't actually talk to me and don't get to know me. And it's good to make sure people know that you're an actual human and that you're <laughs> concerned with them. I mean, this, this is really what it amounts to. You want to help your students, right? right? But if you're just a person on Twitter or someone sending out an email, you're just like a robot, right? Right. But this is a way for me to easily connect with my fans where they can ask me questions in real time. And they, they actually... Um, they, they send in topics for the show. So they actually pick all the topics of the shows. And then I'll just pick something to talk about the morning of, whatever I okay. feel like talking about. If I don't have time, I do an Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything to me means I didn't have time to prepare. So <laughs> throw me some questions and I'll answer them. But really, it's just me talking about whatever's on my mind. And um, we do it for about an hour, three times a week, Monday, nice. Wednesday, Friday, bright and early. And it's, it's good. It's a good way to connect with the, the fans and get to know exactly. people and get to know what they want, right? I mean, a lot of the ideas from... That, that I do in my business came directly from them. And it turns out if you talk to your fans and your customers to some extent, if you're running a training business, they'll tell you what they want. Right. And give it to them. Right. Is that what you enjoy most about it as well? That, that connection? What do I enjoy about it? I don't know. I haven't really tried to quantify it. I, I don't mind doing it. I like doing it. So it's not like, I mean, I don't know. I like doing it, man. <laughs> right. I try to not overthink things to some extent. Hmm. Someone told me that one of my best skills is, really just like boiling down things into their most like simple fundamental aspects. 
and then figuring out what matters and what doesn't matter. And with the little coffee shop, I just like doing it. It's easy. It's easy and it's fun and it's nice. I mean, imagine I could give away an hour of my life and make a thousand people happy for that hour. Like certainly I would give away an hour of my life each day to make a thousand people happy for an hour. And that's, that's basically what it amounts to. Awesome. Like right here, if you want to break it down, me and you are trading an hour of our life to help the card strap people, help them enjoy, mm-hmm. enjoy their day, learn a little bit, right? And it's worth it. Yeah. Even if I didn't like it, I would do it, right? But I do like it. So now it's just like win-win for everybody. Another great answer. You're hitting it out of the park. That's for sure. Certainly crushing these answers. Um, now, ordinarily, I wouldn't get this personal, but considering that you're very public about it, I, I hope it's okay that I can ask you a, a family question or two. Is that okay? Yeah, whatever you want. Okay, cool. So I know you often incorporate uh, your sons, James and Thomas, and, uh, and your wife, Amy, into your content, whether it's a little video snippet of like a life lesson that can be applied to poker, or even uh, recently, I know you did a full-blown Ask Amy Anything uh, on, on your uh, little coffee show. Um, that really does a lot, at least to me, the way I see it, it really breaks that, that archetypical poker stereotype. And it kind of demonstrates to the world, hey, I can lead a normal family life and still have poker be a massive part of it. Is that why you do it? Again, you're overthinking it. If it's a holiday, <laughs> Amy says, hey, you want me to come on your show? And I say, sure. And then she comes in and then we, we talk. I mean, she's been on the show, I don't know, five or 10 times. And uh-huh. she ended up answering things about her job, how we met, how it is to date a poker player, et cetera. The kids, they just run in the office and want to hop in. So I'm like, <laughs> sure, whatever. If I tell them no, it's going to be a problem. So uh, just might as well let them in. But I actually just gave an interview the other day to someone about, like, is it possible to live a normal life as a poker player? Because to be fair, they see people who are degenerates who are poker players. And right. they associate the people who are just like going off and ruining their lives to some extent, gambling hard with what a poker player is. And... Certainly, you can be a poker player in many, many different ways. You can be a super degenerate where you're never home and you muck on your kids and your wife and you party all day and you lose all your money. You can do that. Or you can have a good, solid regimen. You can get in decent shape. You can treat it like a profession. And it's like asking, can you be a doctor and have a family? I mean, sure. Or you can be a doctor and be a degenerate, right? You can, you can do whatever you want. And you just have to ask what your actual goals are and what your priorities are, right? And to be fair, we talked about this earlier, like my priority was to have a family and be a good dad. Right. That requires me to stay home, which now all of a sudden means my goal is no longer to be the best poker player in the world Mm. because you're not going to do that if you're going to be home most of the time, just hate to break it to you, but you can still be very, very good. Right. Right. And so like being the best poker player is almost like the third goal, right? I want to have a family. I want to provide for the family, want to help out my students and I want to be good at poker too. But A lot of people have it in their minds like, yeah, I'm going to be the best poker player. And I'm going to do that by studying and working hard. And then they tell you that they have a job that they're working at and they're never going to quit it. It's like, well, okay, so you're devoting 40 hours a week to not getting good at poker. Whereas the people who actually want to get good at poker are devoting all their time to poker. Right. And like, sorry, hate to break it to you. No matter how smart you are, if someone else who is equally smart, but substantially more driven, or at least in a spot in life where they can devote that much time and effort to it, they're probably just going to end up better. Right. If you look at a lot of the best poker players in the world, they all had some period in their life where they had only poker going on. Right. I mean, I'm a good example of this. Whenever I was like 19 to 21, all I did was play poker. I played poker about 10 hours a day. I studied poker about six hours a day and did that every day for about two and a half years. And turns out I got really good at sitting goes in final tables by doing that. Sure. And a lot of other people do exactly the same thing. Usually it's when they're 
college age, high school age, something like that, because they don't have a family. Mm-hmm. They're probably not so motivated by whatever they're studying at college. And they have all the free time in the world. And it turns out if you have all the free time in the world and you love something, you'll devote your time to it and you'll get good at it if you feel inclined. But can you have a normal life um, and be a poker player? Certainly. You just have to make it a priority. Right. I like that. And it's funny how you, uh, I mean, it's you and, and perhaps to me even like, yes, I understand you're comparing it directly to, you know, being a doctor and, 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 and that sort of a thing or being a lawyer. I get it, but not everyone necessarily sees it that way. And in a way it sort of dovetails in, into my next question here, which is like, I don't know how to, how to phrase it properly. Poker in a way by a lot of people, especially in the mainstream, it has all of these negatives attached to it. And sometimes, you know, if, a person wants to go ahead and pursue poker, their life partner, their spouse, maybe like only thinking about all these negatives or you're spending too much time playing or you're always gonna lose. How do you sort of make it work for yourself? Again, I know you're not, you know, four weeks, you know, every single day playing poker, but you know, we know that there's so much positive to it. But at the same time, you know, maybe maybe it's just, oh, you got lucky and you found someone who doesn't mind or who appreciates it as well. Or you know, is there sort of like a, a trick that our audience out there in, uh, in Cards Chat land, uh, you know, can, can learn from you? Well, so this comes up a lot when we've asked Amy anything, uh, because to some extent, I am not in the normal poker player scenario because right. I met my wife after I was already a professional poker player. I met her in the Bahamas, actually. She was there for a New Year's Eve trip with friends and I was there for PCA a long time ago. And... Like she knew I was a poker player. So the fact that I'm going off to play poker was not a shock. Uh-huh. And that's very different than what happens to a lot of people where let's say they're, uh, say, say, they, they're say they're a doctor, right? They're a doctor, they work their nine to five at their hospital, whatever. I don't know exactly what the schedule is, but they're working their nine to five and they decide, all right, I'm going to start traveling the world and playing poker tournaments because I've won some money on the side. I'm even a definitive winner. I'm going to give up my job where I have a good stable income and I'm going to now go and play poker. I mean, just imagine how that sounds to the other person, to the spouse. Like, that's just ridiculous, right? Why would you give up a reasonable job to go play a card game and you're going to leave me at home? Right. Like, that's just ridiculous. And that's what a lot of people propose to their significant other and they wonder why it's confusing. Hmm. I mean, another question I get is how did I tell my parents I was going to quit college and quit my job and play poker? What I did is I gave them tons and tons of data. I showed them I played like 30,000 sit and goes, showed them I was basically winning every single month. And I also had a pile of money in my, I already had like hundred K. Right. Right. So that makes it very easy. Right. I showed them loads of data. I showed them I have piles of money. I even said, I'd set aside some amount of money for college if I need to go back and I'm going to devote six months to this and see what happens. And if it did go poorly, I would have just been done. And I would have, like I said, I would have had added 30 K to my name and moved on. Right. And that would have been fine. But what a lot of people do is they instead make it to where it's like, mostly going to fail and mostly be mostly have a lot of negatives and have almost no potential positives where you don't have a chance to like make substantially more money or you aren't going to make use of your freedom. Right. I mean, like, like I said, you know, if you're, if you're going to say you're going to be traveling the world while your spouse is stuck at home, that's clearly bad for them. They didn't sign up for that. So you want to make sure that whatever you're doing is agreed on by both parties. You have to make sure that, they're happy with it, right? If they're not happy and not supporting you, that's going to be bad. Like my wife supports me, no problem. And pretty much if I say I need to go play a poker tournament or would like to go play a poker tournament, she always says, sure, because I'm reasonable about it, right? Mm-hmm. And like when we had kids, I said, look, I'm going to travel way less. I'll travel one one week out of um, eight or something like that. Whenever, 
you know, we have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, right? I mean, you probably don't need to be gone all that often. And I'm reasonable. So I, I think if most people are reasonable and not just like overly selfish, that tends to work out pretty well. But I think a lot of people, even when they are in relationships, do whatever they want. And it turns out if you do whatever you want, it's not going to work out great for you if you're trying to cooperate with other people. Hmm. But um, I would definitely tell you to get your poker as professional, uh, professional as you can to some extent. Make sure you have a lot of money set aside so that your spouse does not have to worry about income, right? Like imagine you say, all right, I have 100K set aside because this is what I've won, proving that I'm a winner. Right. I proved I'm a winner by winning 100K, ideally slowly in your right. free time. Right. You don't want to just like spike a tournament for 100K and then sure. say I'm going to go do it. But if, if you can prove good results and you can have like a nest egg of money set aside for you and them, and you have a plan in case you fail, in case things go poorly, I think it'll go better way over than you just waking up one day and say, I'm going to become a poker player now. Sorry. Hmm. Yeah. And but yeah, that's it. I, I think, I think it's funny. Like it's a, it's a, just one question, but I think, you know, it's a fantastic answer. I think that just sort of scratches the surface about what could be said. And here's unsolicited recommendation. Go ahead, take it and run with it. Book number 17. You can write about that for integrating a poker lifestyle into, into family life. Um, nice. Good. Yeah. Consider it done. There you go. You know, I never tell myself I'm going to write another book, but they just like keep falling in my lap. It's like, I had no intention of writing this book, Excelling at Tough No Limit Holding Games, but I'm uh -huh. an advisor for a poker backing company here. Uh -huh. And they were just like brainstorming, how do we get in front of good poker players? Right. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to get in front of good poker players, write a good high level poker book mm -hmm. and they'll like it. Yep. And, and maybe some of them will come back east. Check that yep. out. JLPoker.com slash tough is where you can get the book. There you go. Um, well, you can learn a, a lot about a person by the people that they surround themselves by. So who would you say are your closest friends and influences within the poker world? Hmm. That's a tough question because I interact with a lot of people and some of them more than others. But like, I, if, if I don't like working with someone, I typically don't hang out with them, right? I think you should definitely be selective cultivating the people who are around you. I mean, like, like on your Facebook and Twitter feed, if you don't like someone, don't follow them. <laughs> I mean, I mean it really is that simple. You want to make sure that you are around people who are bettering you to some extent and making mm -hmm. you enjoy your life because you don't have loads of negativity and people tearing down each other and a bunch of nonsense. Nonsense is not going to help you get better at life. It might entertain you a little bit, but you're squandering your time. So anyway, who do I surround myself with? I mean, I guess my closest friends, a guy named Shannon Shore, you may know him. He plays poker. He was the best man at my wedding. Oh, um, there's a lot of people who you may not necessarily know. A lot of them just play cash games and they don't play a ton of tournaments. There's a guy, Adam Geyer, Jesse Yaganuma, Mike Katz, um, people like that who are good, strong cash game players. Some of them have even like moved on from poker to some extent where they just play peak hours. And like, I know one of them's a real estate agent now and he's crushing it. And some of them have a bunch of Airbnbs and they're crushing it. Basically they're like, okay, I have a pile of money. How do I make even more money than the hourly rate I can make grinding 10, 20, no limit. Hmm. and load it up and invest it is what it amounts to. Right. And um, that's that's what a lot of us have done to some extent. Awesome. Well, that's good. Um, well, you just kind of pre-answered the final question that I had prepared, which was about goal setting. And you said you don't really set goals. So I'm going to try to reword it in a way. And this is sort of my final question before we get into the uh, community forum question segment of the show. Where do you, do you even ever do this of like, where do I see myself in a year or where do I see myself in five years? Because 
sure, you're firing on all cylinders. You're doing great. We've covered a lot of it, you know, over these, uh, you know, 45 minutes or so on the show. Do you sort of say to yourself, well, I'd like to make it to this particular point again, whether it's as a poker player or as an instructor, given what the time commitments that you have, things like that. So do you do that? And if so, where do you see yourself, uh, you know, in the short to somewhat longer term future? I don't do any of that. Ah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't. I mean, like, certainly in my mind, like, okay, yeah, let's have a million dollars cash liquid in the bank. But then I just find myself like investing in startup companies or investing in all sorts of other stuff to where all these assets are just like out. And you never know if they're going to come back, right? So mm -hmm. I don't really have monetary goals because I realize if you give me a pile of cash, I'm not just going to let it sit in the bank because it's making no money. Right. So uh, there's a lot of things like that that would be logical goals that I could certainly achieve if I made it a priority. But I also realize at the same time, I'd rather rather gamble, <laughs> rather try to run it up a little bit, right? Yeah. And like in terms of poker, like I said, I'm not gonna have a goal of I'm gonna win a big poker tournament because I realize if you're playing sure. 500 person tournaments, you win one in 250 if you're good. So I mean, if I'm playing 50 a year, it's gonna take me five years to win a tournament. And I mean, this is math, right? Right. So goals like that don't make sense. I mean, I'd like my training site to succeed. <laughs> that would okay. be good. But I don't really have goals pertaining to that because I realize at the end of the day, I don't really control that all that much. I do my best to make good content, manage the team, hire good people. And I mean, that's really what it amounts to is I know that my job is to do my best and not squander my opportunity. And that means during my work hours, make sure I'm sitting in this office working. And I know I'm going to do that. It's not, it's not a problem because I like doing it. Right. So, but like, I cannot predict where things are going to go. I mean, maybe poker gets shut down in America or something. Who knows what's going to happen to the point that poker's dead. That could happen. And then we'd have to pivot very quickly. Yep. Um, but I do think looking out and having goals and all that is very, very good and relevant, especially if you can somehow project things. Like if I was a cash game player, right? And you know, you're going to sit down, grind hard all month, make 20K a month on average. You can say that like your goal is to make whatever it is, uh, 20, 240K a year. And you should expect if you put in your time to make that extra 240K a year. And you should have that money available to either you know, play bigger or to invest or whatever you want to do. But um, business is a little bit more, it has a lot more variance. Every once in a while, like uh, you just may spend all the cash in the bank account sometimes because you need to, you think it's a good investment. And um, like, I didn't expect to expand my coaching roster so much, but good people just kept wanting to work with me. So, I mean, what am I going to say? I'm mean, happy to spend extra money to have really good content. And right. yeah, I'm not going to make as much money myself, but it's a good community service and stuff like that will help with retention. It'll help attract new students and maybe it's a good investment. Maybe it's not, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. So it's, I'm pretty, pretty easy going when it comes to definitive goals because I realize they change every day. Okay. Well, that's totally um, a fair take. Uh, I can well, accept that answer. And uh, but one more thing I want to say is that like with things like um, writing books or making content, mm. I don't, I, I, I'm always done well before the deadline. I do not run into deadlines at all. If I, like, for example, this book that I just finished up, mm -hmm. um, number, number 16, mm -hmm. it's due on like March 1st. That's when it's due. <laughs> so I'm five months ahead, which Today's is good. October 1st for everyone watching. Just let yeah, me know. So, so I'm okay. five months ahead and right. that, that's how I operate. So it's not like I need to make sure I'm motivated to do these things. I just want to get it done as good as I can in a you know reasonable time frame and mm -hmm. I don't really have a problem with procrastination. And I think things like goals are probably a little bit better for people who have problems with procrastination because they need a little bit of an extra motivator to get up and do the work. But I like doing the work, so it's not a problem for me. Nice. 
Nice. Well, um, I know our, our time is uh, running short, so I want to make sure we move into the second segment of the show. And uh, as all of our listeners and viewers know, uh, we turn to the Cards Chat community and we want to see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests. So what, here we our go. first, um, yeah, there you go. If you're watching, you saw my earphones just fell out. Um, our first uh, couple questions, we got about five, so hopefully we can speed through them. I know you've got uh, other uh, commitments, John. So, Whatever you need to do, I'm happy to be here with you. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure the community does uh, as well. So uh, Fletch Dad, thank you very much, Fletch Dad. I had a couple questions here, and these get a little bit more into the, the nitty gritty, some strategy questions here for you. Um, well, one, and then the, a little bit more of a, uh, prediction prognos- uh, type of questions. So the first one is regarding the present state of tournament poker is the old plus minus rule uh, tight at the beginning, loosen up with the raising blinds and punish them on the bubble. Is that still a thing or has some new basic approach taken over? I don't know if that approach has ever been the right approach personally, because it is very rigid. Uh, I mean, my first poker coach, a guy named Bill Seymour, a long time ago taught me, take whatever the table will give you. <laughs> and sometimes they'll give you a lot and sometimes they'll give you none. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if anything, I'm usually playing like way more loose early in the tournament, especially when playing like medium and small stakes games, mm-hmm. because those players often make really big post-flop errors. So if you're playing tight in the early levels, you just don't get to take advantage of whatever post-flop errors they make. So, I mean, I may play, I don't know, like 30% of hands early in a tournament where I'm mm-hmm. doing a whole lot of calling in position and seeing a lot of flops because I expect to navigate the flops better than most of the opponents. Um, Say you're on the bubble and everybody's just like blasting it. I mean, you just can't do anything. You have to sit there and wait for good cards. So the idea of having a very rigid game plan that you must follow, I do not think is good poker in general because you never know who you're going to be against. But like, if you tell me you're going to be against people who play like perfect deep stack poker, but they're way too tight in the late levels, then that strategy of, you know, staying out of the way early and running over them later is good. But you don't know who you're going to be against before you go to play a tournament. So having a very predefined strategy does not make a lot of sense. Okay, good. Good answer. And um, his second question is what's your take regarding the future of poker tournaments? What experiences have you had since the pandemic began? And what, if any changes, do you think, uh, just your opinion, do you think awaits uh, poker and poker rooms um, post COVID or, uh, after the pandemic has subsided? Well, I'm not a virologist or an event planner, so I'm probably not the best person <laughs> to ask these questions, but I have to think major tournaments are probably not going to exist for quite a while. I mean, if you look at most indoor sports, a lot of them have just basically canceled either canceled the events or canceled people being there at the events, like, right. you know, football games or basketball games or whatever. And that's because you don't want a whole lot of people gathered in a enclosed room. Mm -hmm. And well, if you think about where poker tournaments take place, they're in enclosed rooms. And that's a bit of a problem to some extent. So I have to think that like while poker will still happen at a relatively small scale, um, you know, 100 person tournaments, 200 person tournaments, I I doubt we're going to see a thousand people packed into a room anytime soon, which I mean, like when I say anytime soon, maybe like two or three years, who knows? And I don't know. I mean, like I said, I have no clue. I'm not the right person to ask this because I don't work at a casino and um, I don't know anything about how viruses operate. But I'll, I'm kind of a type of person who believes it when I see, I see it to some extent. Whenever they tell me everything's good to go and I can go get a vaccine, I'll go get a vaccine and go play again. But that's not where we are. So 
we'll hang out. We're not under any pressure to have to get up and go play cards. I would say, I will say it's pretty rough for people who do actually have to get up and go play cards to support their family though. Mm-hmm. Because if you either don't like online poker or aren't good enough to win at online poker, your only options are getting up and going to the casino and playing poker. Right. You need to make some money. Um, from what I understand though, the people who are playing right now who are good are just cleaning up. Like I'm seeing my students are telling me double their normal win rates or something like that because Apparently, if you want to go play poker right now, you're also maybe a little bit of a degenerate too. The people who are degenerates <laughs> are still going to play. And a lot of the pros who had money stockpiled, they're not going to play. Like I haven't played right. poker in live poker in six months, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes the game soft. So if I mean, it's probably not uh, responsible to say, but if you want to go pick up some money right now, go to the casino and play poker. But um, okay. <laughs> anytime all the pros are not at the game, the game's going to be good. Right. But I mean, like for tournaments, what I envision is like, so let's say you are going to have a World Series of Poker type thing. You're probably going to have a lot of individual rooms that are probably going to be five or 10 tables each. Because mm-hmm. I mean, they can segment off all these giant ballrooms where there are a bunch of little little rooms. Sure. And I'm sure they'll fix air circulation to be great if it's not already. And I'm sure there'll be partitions and masks and all this. And I, I think it's certainly still workable, but it's going to look very different than it currently does. There may be more like... Um, very multi-day tournaments, like 10 multi-day tournaments capped at a hundred people and you can only play once or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are certainly ways to get around having giant field. You can still have giant fields, but not a whole lot of people in the same place. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, and our next uh, forum community member, uh, Shells, asked four questions, but over the course of our conversation, you've actually answered two of them. So we'll hey, just, <laughs> which is great. Um, so I'll just ask the remaining two here and then we'll wrap it up. Um, what do you like to do? <laughs> this is a good one. I like those kids? <laughs> you're, pretty, you're, you're predicting the question here. Um, and I'm wondering, why didn't I ask this one? What do you like to do aside from teaching or playing poker? Hmm. I would say play with my kids. I'm not sure that's always true. Um, I do. I don't know. What do I really like doing? I I like playing this game called Hearthstone. It's a children's card game. Turns out I like children's card games and turns out poker is also kind of a children's card game that adults play. They just don't realize it. So um, I enjoy strategy games. I enjoy like hiking and getting outside and and nature when at all possible. I mean, I live in Manhattan, so we're not a whole lot of nature out here, but like every weekend we get up, we take the kids to Central Park, which is a giant park out here and we walk around all day and that's that's usually what we end up doing on weekends so i'm hanging out with the family and taking it easy but i don't really have a ton of spare time because i'm busy working all day and then i I do devote week i I mean to be fair we we mentioned earlier i work monday to friday but saturday and sunday i basically always take off to hang out with my family um since covid happened i have been playing like half of a day of poker on sundays the kids take a nap at 2 p.m and i'll start playing at 2 p.m and they'll play till whenever i'm done Right. Um, so that's that's a way for me to still get in some tournament volume while I am stuck at home. But Saturday all day, we're just out of the house all day with the kids. And then Sunday, the first half of the day, I'm out, out of the house all day with the kids, too. So cool. we try to get out and um, enjoy nature to the best of our ability. Good. Well, it's good to always have some sort of a, of a balance. And uh, you seem uh, quite happy with that balance. And it's working for you. So I'm happy to, to hear that. I mean, it goes back to like, like I said, um, segmenting life to some extent, mm, right? Like exactly. work my, work my nine to six, Monday to Friday, hang out with my wife and kids, by the way, six o'clock till 10 o'clock. We hang out with the kids until they go to sleep at like eight o'clock and then mm-hmm. eight till 10, I hang out with my wife. Awesome. So, and then in the mornings I wake up at 6am and make the kids breakfast and hang out with them until 9am. So it's like still family time every day to some extent. Sure. And everyone knows the boundaries to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like when I go play poker, my wife doesn't really bother me. And 
when I'm working during the day, the kids don't bother me really. And it's like everybody understands the setup and everyone's happy enough with it. Awesome. Well, so, I think sounds, they are at least. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty I'm good. I'm happy enough with it. Certainly something uh, worth trying to emulate if possible. Um, so our final question, again, from Shells. Uh, I know you have uh, plugged uh, a couple of things so far, but um, the question is, is pretty open for you. What is new and exciting for your fans to look forward to? So I have a training site, PokerCoaching.com. We just released or substantially upgraded our app on the iTunes and Android app store. Just search Poker Coaching. It'll come right up. We made... Um, basically GTO charts on the app that you can use to find any pre-flop scenario for common stack sizes, like how to play four bet pots, how to play three bet pots, whatever. So that is very, very useful for people. Don't use it while you're playing in the poker tournaments. They'll, they may call that real-time solvers and uh, <laughs> ban you or something. So be careful with that. These are for study purposes only, but you want to make sure, I mean, that, that kind of thing's exciting. It's been a big project. I know that there's another company out there that charges many hundreds of dollars a month for like half the product and it's just mm. part of the poker coaching premium membership. So all the members have access to that. And, um, you know, we have the book, it's selling it tough, no limit hold'em games, get that at jlpoker.com slash tough. And uh, we're just constantly adding a lot of value to pokercoaching.com for the premium members. Actually, we just started um, reviewing their hand histories, like email us a hand and I'll review it. We'll make a video and everybody can watch it. And I know that may sound simple, but it turns out whenever you get asked to do a hundred hands reviews and you know, they're all going to take five or 10 minutes each. It's a lot of work. But I'm happy to do it and we're going to have some other coaches do it. And we're just always trying to find ways to add additional value to the students. I mean, we tried to make a different training site than all the other ones anyway, because a lot of them just have a lot of passive videos where you sit down, you watch a video and then it's done and then you move on. But we have a lot of quizzes, like interactive quizzes as part of the videos. We have a lot of short videos, like five or 10 minutes long, a quiz or two after to make sure you understand it. So you're really actually learning how to play poker well as opposed to watching and you know, maybe knowing how to play poker well. So <laughs> we're, we're trying to make sure that all the students are learning poker and there's just many, many ways we can continue uh, building up that product. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much to Shells and to Fletchdad, uh, who sent in the questions for Jonathan Little. And just, uh, again, a friendly reminder to all of uh, you guys out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love for you to submit your questions for our future podcast guests. Uh, there's a dedicated thread for it on the forums. And of course, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Thanks again so much, John, uh, to Jonathan Little. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.